1: Six days you shall serve, and you shall do all your work. And the seventh day is the Sabbath to Lord Jehovah your God. Because for six days Lord Jehovah made heaven and earth, and he was refreshed in the seventh day.
0: Exodus, chapter 20, verses 9 and 11, Aramaic Bible in Plain English. Hello. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria K. We're happy to be with you for this episode of Anchored by Truth as we continue our series on the Ten Commandments. In this series, we are focusing on several key ideas, such as the fact that the commandments were given to help us understand God more deeply, as well as live better lives. This remains as true today as it was for the ancient Israelites who first heard the commandments 3,500 years ago. Today, R.D. Fierro is with us in the studio. R.D., as an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books, what other big ideas are we focusing on in this series?
2: Well, of course, you've just mentioned two very big ideas about the reason that we are doing this series. You know, a lot of people view the Ten Commandments as if they're a sort of set of speed limit signs. They see the commandments as saying, don't do this or don't do that. And they view it the same way they view a speed limit sign as saying, well, don't drive faster than 45 miles an hour. And certainly speed limits, like the commandments, help us to stay away from foolish behavior. But the commandments are so much more than just a set of guardrails, a set of speed limits. Properly understood, the commandments will actually help us understand the overall plan of redemption much more deeply.
0: Why is that?
2: Well, many commentators have divided the Ten Commandments into two groups that are often called tables.
0: We mentioned that in the first episode of the series. Often the first four commandments are considered the first table of the law. Their purpose is to help us have a better relationship with God. The last six commandments are the second table. Their purpose is to help us have better relationships with other people.
2: Right. That's a very common way of looking at the commandments. But I have a slightly different way of segregating the commandments. I think that the Ten Commandments can serve as an important reminder to us about God's overall plan of redemption. You know, the first three commandments are all concerned with God's nature and personhood. God is mighty, exalted, powerful, sits on an eternal throne. God is all of that. But God is first and foremost a personal being. And the first three commandments help us to remember that God is self-existent, infinite, spiritual, not physical. And the first three commandments help guard our perceptions of God's nature carefully. Now, the fourth and fifth commandments, they remind us about God's creative activity. Commandment number four reminds us that God created everything that exists in six regular, ordinary, 24 hour days. And then commandment number five, which of course says to honor our fathers and mothers, reminds us that God made man as the only creature that bears God's image. God created both the very first father, Adam, and the very first mother, Eve. And remember, those are the only two human beings that God created directly.
0: All other people have been born as natural descendants of Adam and Eve, but God personally created our first parents. So, in a very real way, all subsequent parents have a direct link back to God's creative activity. And we'll get more deeply into the fifth commandment in our next episode of Anchored by Truth. And then the final five commandments,
2: well, they all remind us of the effects of the fall. And they remind us of the need to restrain sin in the behavior of fallen human beings. And in a certain respect, we see the need for the five final commandments in what happened in the Garden of Eden and in the immediate aftermath after Adam and Eve had been kicked out of the Garden of Eden.
0: Well, God had told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But they did so after being tempted by Satan in the guise of a serpent. So, Adam and Eve took fruit that didn't belong to them. That's stealing. And we hear from Genesis chapter 3 verse 5 that part of the temptation included covetousness. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Satan said, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil, unquote. Satan tempted Eve by telling her that she could be like God, and Eve succumbed. Verse 6 says, quote, And even the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, unquote. Adam and Eve coveted being like God, and that led to the theft.
2: Yes. An idol is anything that we prize more than God. And idolatry in the Bible is often represented by adultery. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. So when Adam and Eve prized, quote, being like God, more than they prized obedience to God, they committed idolatry. They committed spiritual adultery. And then when God confronted them about their sin, they went and hid and became evasive. Well, evasion is just a form of deception or lying. And so, of course, not too long after Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, we hear about the first murder when Cain killed his brother Abel in chapter 4 of Genesis. So there you have, in the two chapters of the Bible that follow the chapters that describe creation, you have examples of the need for all five of the last commandments.
0: That's interesting. God existed before he created anything. The first three commandments apply to him personally. The next two apply to his creative activity. The fourth, which we're going to talk about today, is about the period of creation. Six days of creative work followed by a day of rest. The fifth commandment is about the product of creation. Man was God's highest part of the created order Because man is the only created being who is described as being created in the image of God. The first five commandments would have been just as reasonable and applicable if the fall had never occurred. But the last five commandments are only necessary because of the fall.
2: Creation, fall, and redemption. It's a seemingly simple story. But if we don't understand that story, we really won't understand the Bible. The Bible is a single book about a single story, and the storyline is creation, fall, and redemption. And the fourth commandment is a very straightforward reminder about that fact.
0: We heard one version of the fourth commandment in our opening scripture. That version came from the Aramaic Bible in plain English. Here is how the fourth commandment reads in the contemporary English version. Quote, Remember that the Sabbath day belongs to me. You have six days when you can do your work, but the seventh day of each week belongs to me, your God. No one is to work on that day, not you, your children, your slaves, your animals, or the foreigners who live in your towns. In six days I made the sky, the earth, the oceans, and everything in them, but on the seventh day I rested. That's why I made the Sabbath a special day that belongs to me." That's Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 11. So in giving the fourth commandment, God himself takes his audience straight back to his creative activity.
2: Yes, and we learn several important things from that fact. First, we learn that God did, in fact, create the world in six ordinary 24-hour days. Now, Dr. Jonathan Sarfati spoke extensively about that in the series that we did with him that we called The Truth in Genesis.
0: Dr. Sarfati is the lead scientist for Creation Ministries International. He has a Ph.D. in both physics and chemistry, and he is such an accomplished chess champion that he plays up to 12 players simultaneously while they can see, and he is blindfolded. And the Truth in Genesis series is available from our website, crystalseabooks.com. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S-E-A-B-O-O-K-S dot com. You know, some people
2: have tried to say that the six days of creation described in chapter one of Genesis were actually just indeterminate long periods, possibly quite very long periods, but that view does not make very much sense in light of what God tells us in the fourth commandment. Now, in the contemporary English version of the fourth commandment that you just read, God said, you have six days when you can do your work, but the seventh day of the week belongs to me, your God. Well, God certainly did not mean that we are supposed to work for six indeterminately long periods, followed by an equally indeterminate period of rest for the seventh period. When God gave us the fourth commandment, he is quite clearly referring to six 24-hour periods where he is describing the period in which we are to work. And by the way, six 24-hour days in which we work, followed by a period of 24 hours in which we rest, that's the only thing that makes sense for how human beings can actually work. And God directly linked His creative activity to that very same period.
0: The point is that if we accept the creation period of God's work as being six 24-hour periods, there is no tension with the fourth commandment. But the moment we start trying to bring a different interpretation to chapter 1 of Genesis, we have to begin fashioning bizarre explanations for how that translate into the plain requirement of the fourth commandment.
2: So one important concept that comes through the fourth commandment is the ratification of the creation narrative contained in chapter 1 of Genesis. And when God gave us the fourth commandment, God knew about all the craziness that was going to try to be attributed to Genesis chapter 1. So when God gave us the fourth commandment, God was in effect killing two birds with one stone. God both prescribed the requirement that one day of the week was to be devoted to rest and his purposes, as well as clearly stating that the first chapter of Genesis is to be accepted as literal history. But another important fact that we learned from the fourth commandment is that God considers rest to be as important within his economy as work.
0: That's a lesson so many of us need to learn, or relearn today. In our day and age, our lives tend to be filled with constant activity. It may not all be working for compensation, but it seems like one requirement or another constantly grabbing our attention and demanding that we do something. In our culture and economy, we treat the need for rest as a weakness, but it is not. God built a rest period into his design for creation right at the start. God rested on the seventh day, and that made it special. Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 says, quote, God blessed the seventh day and made it special, because on that day he rested from his work, unquote. That's also from the contemporary English version. You know, it's interesting that day seven was the only day that the Bible calls blessed.
2: Right. So let's make a couple of points very clear. First, God did not need to rest because God got tired. God never gets tired. God is omnipotent. God is infinite. And nothing that God has ever done was hard on Him. God rested to set the pattern for us to follow, not because God needed to take a break.
0: And we know that God rested on the seventh day for our benefit because in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 27, it says, Jesus finished by saying, People were not made for the good of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the good of the people."
2: That version is from the Contemporary English Version also. Other versions of the Bible will say the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The seventh day is blessed in part because it is the day in which we are to rest. And let's think back to the people who first heard the message that they were supposed to rest one day out of seven. Remember, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for an awfully long time, probably a period of decades. You know, I don't think that the Egyptians had been overly concerned about ensuring that their Hebrew slaves got an appropriate amount of rest.
0: Taking off one day out of seven would have been a revolutionary thought to the Hebrews who had just left an extended period of slavery. The first chapter of Exodus tells us that the Hebrews were oppressed and that they were being forced to build storage or treasure cities for the Pharaoh. It's likely that they were expected to work just about every day during which it was physically possible to perform hard physical labor. When Moses told the Hebrews that God wanted them to rest one day a week, that news must have been as revolutionary as it was welcome.
2: And a second point that we need to notice is the timing of God giving the Hebrews the fourth commandment. Exodus chapter 19 tells us that God first gave the commandments to the Hebrews in the third month after they had left Egypt. Now this ratifies the authenticity of the historical setting. During the first two months of the Hebrews' journey out of Egypt, they were steadily moving away from their former captives and place of captivity. Now, if God had told them just to sit down and rest during that first couple of months while they were still close to Egypt, I think the Hebrews probably would have been pretty nervous and anxious that the Egyptians might have tried to recapture them.
0: Which Pharaoh and the Egyptian army had already tried to do once before the Israelites were miraculously delivered by the parting of the Red Sea, the Hebrews knew that they were not safe if they were too close to Egypt. So, God led them quite a distance away before he delivered the law. By that time, they probably needed a rest, and the news that they were going to get one every week was probably very welcome.
2: Right. And a third point that we need to note is that God called his creative activity on five of the first six days good, but God called the seventh day blessed. Now, one of the reasons that it is blessed is because it is a day of rest for us. But another reason it's blessed, and probably the biggest reason it's blessed, is because the Sabbath is the day that we are to turn our attentions away from the demands of the world and turn them to the ultimate source of all blessing, God.
0: And that is something else that we forget about in these excessively busy days, our need to refresh ourselves by focusing on God. Jesus' half-brother James reminded us in the book named after him in James chapter 1, verse 17, that, quote, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father who created all the lights in the heavens, unquote. We forget that we need to consciously turn to God to get the help that we need to handle what life and this world throw at us. The Bible is filled with encouragement for us to turn to the Lord and allow Him to carry our burdens. One of the best known verses for that is 1 Peter 5, 7, which tells us, quote, To cast all of our cares on Him because He cares for us, unquote. So a second reason the seventh day is blessed is because it, among all the days, is the one that is supposed to be specifically dedicated to the blesser.
2: Yes. So let's look at all of this in the context of the fourth commandment. God had just delivered His people from slavery in Egypt. Beyond the initial delivery, God had miraculously protected them from the Egyptians' attempt to recapture them. And in the process of delivering them, God had destroyed the bulk of the Egyptians' fighting force. All of that would have been a great relief to the Hebrews, and that would have relieved at least somewhat the worry that the Egyptians might try to make another attempt to bring them back into slavery. So, now by the third month, they are starting to feel more certain that they are indeed headed for a new future. And that would have been a future that would have been impossible for them to envision probably just a matter of months earlier they could never have envisioned the future of them living their own lives in their own land. Well, now God is giving them his instructions for what that new future life will look like. And it must have been a bit of a relief to know that God did not just expect them to leave one period of slavery and then enter another period of slavery when they arrived in the promised land. In fact, God was telling them, not only do I expect you just to go into another period of slavery, I am expecting you to rest one day a week and be refreshed by thinking about, remembering, and honoring me.
0: And for the Hebrews who had just experienced the physical delivery focusing on Him would have been a different experience than it is for us. They had seen God's power up close and personal. They knew, or should have known, that God had a special concern for their welfare and well-being. And they had many experiences with physical manifestations of God's presence and attention to them, the miracles in Egypt, the pillar of fire, the column of cloud. For us, sometimes our awareness of God may seem a bit abstract. We know God exists, but our primary knowledge of God comes from the testimony of the creation and the Bible. But for the Israelites, who had just come out of Egypt, Their awareness of God had been fortified by God's direct intercession in their lives and in physical manifestations.
2: Right. For us, the fourth commandment is certainly important, but for the Hebrews who first received the fourth commandment, it would have generated a set of emotions and reactions that it's very hard for us to relate to. But certainly one benefit to us of the fact that God had so powerfully intervened on behalf of the Hebrews leaving Egypt was the preservation of the testimony of what had occurred to them. We have their testimony to inform and comfort us yet today in the Bible. The Hebrews who were leaving Egypt created an enduring record, in part because God had made His presence in their lives and world unmistakable. And in making His presence unmistakable, God ensured that we would be as aware of His commandments as the first recipients were. And there's one final point that we should note about the fourth commandment before we close out for today. What's that? Well, let's consider for just a moment why we use a seven-day week. Now, we know why we mark our lives off by days. That's the length of time it takes the earth to revolve around its axis once, and we see the beginning and the ending of days in the cycles of light and dark. And we know why we use a 365-day year. That's the length of time it takes the Earth to make a complete revolution around the Sun. And we understand the sense of using the solar cycle because our year, our solar year, is validated by how it affects food production, varying needs in shelter and protection, the behavior of animals. The 365-day year is pretty apparent in the behavior of the Earth and the Sun. And the same thing is true for the month. That is approximately 30 days. That's based on the period of the Moon's rotation around the Earth. And that also generates visible manifestations in our sky and in the variance in tides. But why do we use a seven-day week?
0: I see what you're getting at. There are no astronomical or celestial manifestations that are tied to the week. It's not the period of the rotation of the sun or the moon or the earth or even of any lesser stellar bodies like planets or stars. Nor do the plants or animals exhibit any particular behaviors based on whether it's the first or last day of the week. Bears may take the winter off, but they don't take weekends off. So, the reason we use a seven-day week is based entirely on the Bible's description of God's creative activity. And it is interesting that the seven-day week has been accepted so widely around the world, even in many different cultures that don't particularly make the Bible the centerpiece of their cultural or religious beliefs.
2: At different points of human history, there have been other subdivisions of the month that have been used. The ancient Romans used what we might call a 10-day week for a while, and then they gradually moved to the use of an 8-day week. The ancient Egyptians divided their months into 3 weeks. The work week was 9 days long and was followed by 1 day of rest. Well, even the ancient Greeks and Persians used a seven-day week. And many scholars believe that the reason the Greeks and the Persians began using a seven-day week was because they adopted it from the Jews after the period of the Babylonian captivity.
0: Which is peculiar in and of itself because the Jews were a conquered and captive people. It's pretty rare that the conquerors begin to use the customs of the conquered. But that seems to have happened in the case of defining a week.
2: Right. But, of course, there was a good reason for them to do it. God had established the seven-day week because of the period he used for creation. But, of course, God had also designed man such that one day of rest in seven was necessary for a healthy, fulfilling, and productive life. And as you noted earlier, people today can tend to think that they can ignore that basic fact of the need to get an appropriate amount of rest, but we ignore that fact at our own peril. God knew that we needed rest to live joyful lives. He designed humans and the calendar system to give us that rest. And of course, then he set the example for us, and he ratified that basic wisdom by giving the ancient Hebrews and us the fourth commandment.
0: And frankly, we need a relationship with God, even more than we need rest. Nehemiah 8.10 tells us that, quote, The joy of the Lord is our strength, unquote. Was Nehemiah just being poetic? Or was he telling his audience a basic truth? Human beings have both a body and a soul and spirit. The body won't be healthy with an unhealthy spirit, and God is the only source of spiritual health. And many people have discovered that God will let our physical health break down to remind them of the need to maintain a connection with Him.
2: And as we have said in every episode in this series, God gave us the Ten Commandments for our benefit. And we cannot ignore God's transcendent truth and expect to prosper. And that includes the truth that we need to give our bodies appropriate physical rest and we need to give our spirits the spiritual rest that comes from casting our cares on the one who cares for us. We all have burdens. We are either going to carry those burdens for we are going to place those burdens on the only other person who has ever offered to share our yoke, and that was Jesus. The choice is ours, but to live a joyful, peaceful, and productive life, we must honor God by honoring the Sabbath that He created for our benefit.
0: We can and should turn to God, because He always knows what's best for us. And as a truly loving God, He wants what's best for us even if we don't always know what that is. The fourth commandment protects us because it tells us that our God is a God who is concerned enough about us to want us to properly care for our bodies and spirits. So this sounds like a great time to go to God in prayer. Today, let's listen to a prayer for Christian missionaries, those who carry the good news about God's care to all the world.
1: a prayer for christian missionaries father of redemption you are a powerful and loving god and our ever faithful tower of refuge and strength you are a god who takes pleasure in rescuing lost sheep and in bringing them into your kingdom you are the god of the ends and the means may all the earth sing praises to your name lord The Bible rightly asks how the lost can hear of the salvation available through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, unless preachers are sent to proclaim the gospel. We know they cannot, and today, a great many of your faithful people continue to leave their families and homes to travel to remote corners to preach your message of hope and good news. Today, We want to pray for all these missionaries and to thank you for your provision of them. Lord, we know that many missionaries preach the gospel in lands where your word is not welcome. In fact, in some lands to speak about you brings a sentence of death. We know that there are many places where government leaders and authorities will exercise the full power of their offices to oppose and persecute your messengers. Therefore, we pray for special protection for all those who preach in these dangerous countries and places. We ask that you watch over these missionaries, protecting them as they travel and minister and confounding the efforts of those who seek their harm. We also pray that you give them fertile fields in which to plant your word, which is the seed of true life, we pray that you would open the hearts of those who hear the word. Give them the courage to accept Christ, even as they risk their lives to do so. Bring leaders out of the converted so that ministries and churches once begun will continue to grow and expand. Provide the resources the missionaries and churches need to sustain themselves, whether it be Bibles, educational literature, money, resources for daily living. Show us how you would have us help and serve in bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. While not all are called to go or preach, we know that there is a way that all of us can contribute. Help us to be persistent in our prayers and make us fervent in our desire to see your word spread and your kingdom grow. Christ commanded that his word be spread until he returns again. So in His holy name we pray for His kingdom and His messengers. Amen. Amen.
0: Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at CrystalSeaBooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where
2: We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support.